Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. The Nubra family had gathered together at their home in Nuneaton. They had just finished their dinner when 23-year-old Megan said she was going out to meet a friend from work. His name was Ross McCullum, and she described him as a gentleman. Her words were meant to reassure her family, to give the impression of a harmless platonic encounter, since they had not met this friend. She waved her family goodbye as Megan climbed into her Citroen C3 and set off into the night. Such a lovely, deeply caring, loving, open person, full of integrity, honesty. Um, She just had an openness that... She was like a magnet. Everybody was drawn to her. Lovely inside and out. He is... He's a monster. He is a... He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He comes across as a very quiet, um, quite naive and vulnerable person. We now know he spent the hours after killing Megan watching porn and Googling serial killers. Knowing that she was dead and in the car and what he was about to do to her body, he texted her, um, making reference to the fact how fantastic she was. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 6 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Megan Newborough was born in the market town of Nuneaton, Warwickshire, in the West Midlands. 
Her parents, Anthony and Delaine, and her wider family were religious and active members of their community. Megan's father served as an organist for the local church, and her grandfather, Ken, was a vicar. The property they shared was substantial, with enough room for all the family. They were happy and shared a close bond. In 2021, Megan, who was in her early 20s, eagerly anticipated her first steps towards independence and was set to move into her first home, leaving the family nest behind. However, Megan's loyal and beloved dog Frank would be coming with her. For the last few years, she had been working in human resources for Ibstock, a manufacturer of clay and concrete building products. Before that, she studied in sixth form at King Edward VI College in Nuneaton. Throughout both her education and employment, Megan was known for her conscientiousness. Whenever new employees joined, she made a special effort to make them feel comfortable in their new environment. Her dreams and aspirations included becoming a HR manager, with the goal of achieving this milestone by the age of 30. Prior to her current position, she had spent some time working at Triton Showers, where a spokesperson fondly recalled, her infectious smile lit up the room, and she always made time for everybody, no matter their age, race, gender or social background. Megan Newborough was also fond of children and was looking forward to the day when she would become a mother. On the evening of Friday, August 6th, Megan had dinner with her family before announcing her plan to go for a walk with a gentleman friend. She assured her family of his kindness and introverted nature, stating she would be home later that night. Around 7.30, Megan set off in her Citroen C3. As dawn broke the next morning, Anthony, Megan's father, discovered his daughter had not returned home. Concerned, he tried calling her mobile phone, but Megan never answered. Alarmed by her absence, Anthony sought answers from Megan's brother John, who had also not heard from her. Together they reached out to one of Megan's friends from work who accompanied them to Ibstock, hoping somebody there might have information about her whereabouts. Unfortunately, nobody had seen or heard from her, prompting them to contact Warwickshire Police. To aid in their search, the constabulary utilised automatic number plate recognition technology to track Megan's car, and they learned it was last spotted off Nanpantan Road in Loughborough the previous night. The family travelled to the area, driving up and down in search of Megan's car without success. Frustrated but undeterred, they sought Apple's assistance in tracing her iPhone, 
They were informed that Apple could not provide help until Monday. Determined to find his sister, John tracked Megan's phone through an app called Find My and discovered that her phone was admitting a signal from a hedgerow in the countryside of Hermitage Road in Whittick, a former mining village. With a sense of urgency, John, Anthony and concerned friends headed to the area to start searching for the young woman. Despite the dense undergrowth, they knew Megan's phone had to be somewhere as it continually pinged every few minutes to that specific location. They called at properties nearby, including the home of Richard Rees. Although Richard had not seen Megan, he offered them a piece of wood to help cut through the hedgerow. Amidst this search, the police arrived. With their assistance, Megan's loved ones discovered her mobile phone hidden deep inside a hedge, intensifying their fear for her safety. This unsettling discovery prompted an immediate missing person investigation as police launched door-to-door inquiries while a helicopter hovered overhead. Analyzing Megan's phone data, the police noticed messages from a colleague, Ross McCullum. The messages revealed that Megan had arranged to meet him on Friday night and seemed to have arrived safely at his home. One message from McCullum read, Did you get back all right, baby? Followed by, I'm guessing you've gone to bed or your phone has died, so I'll talk to you in the morning, and then we can go round to yours. Ross McCullum's address was provided by a colleague. With this information... The police arrived at his home in Colville, Leicestershire at approximately 7.30pm. His shocked parents answered the door. They told officers their son wasn't at home, explaining that he was out drinking with a friend. PC Mia Moore contacted McCullum by phone, telling him of Megan's failure to return home. Hi, is that Ross? Hi, it is Ross, yeah. Hi, Ross. My name's Mia. I'm a police officer with the Warwickshire Police. Hello. Um, we've just come to your mum and dad's house. Um, we're just looking for Megan. She's been reported missing. Have you well, seen her yeah. at all? She came on Friday. I've been, talk- I've been trying to call her, though. Have um, you? She came, on- she came on Friday for about an hour. Yeah. Then she she, she left about nine-ish. Okay. I went to, went to McDonald's. Yeah. And then she... Call or a text when she got home. She never, never did. She never did. Okay. Um. So you haven't seen her since yesterday. About was it half nine? You said. Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Okay. And where are you at the moment? I'm in Loughborough right now. You're in Loughborough. Okay. What are you up to yeah. in Loughborough? Sorry. What are you up to in Loughborough? I'm just on a, having a few drinks in Loughborough. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Um. Whereabouts are you? Um, you know where the Griffin is? Um, I'm a Warwickshire officer, so I have no idea whereabouts uh, anything is, but uh, I can sure find it. Is it the Griffin, is it? Yeah, it's right, it's right 
Sainsbury's. Do you know the road name or anything like that? Um, I don't, if I'm honest with you, I'm walking down there now as we speak. Yeah. The officer asked McCullum whether he and Megan are in a relationship. Yeah, well, yeah, we've been seeing each other. She's HR at work, I work with her. Yeah. Um, we've been seeing each other yeah. for about a month and uh, I'm glad her out this weekend. Yeah. My mum and dad are out. Her mum and dad are out the house, I'm supposed to be going around. But she never turned up today. She's supposed to be here at like 12 o'clock. Right. And did she say anything of where she might be going or where she might be? She said she was, she said she was, all she said was she was going to go to, she's she like going to McDonald's on my own to get like a vanilla milkshake. Yeah. That's it. And she didn't say where she'd be going today. All she said is that she'd meet you. Well, no, she said she, said she couldn't stop mine. She was going to stop last night, around mine, but she said she couldn't. Um, what? How so come she didn't stop? Just, just being nosy. Sorry. Sorry, Ross. <laughs> so, just my sergeant ringing me. Um, so she said that she couldn't stop last night. Did she say why she couldn't stop? No. Well, when I texted her to say if she wanted to, she said she uh, couldn't. She never went into detail. No. She just said she couldn't stop, and then she came round after I that. Think, I, I think it's because her mum and dad didn't know that I was going to be coming round. Okay. And I don't think she. Um, McCullum seemed surprised to learn that nobody had heard from Megan since the previous evening. Okay. Have we not heard heard anything from her at all? Nothing at all. I've I've sent her about, that sounds really creepy, I've sent her about 15 WhatsApp messages. She said she was going to call me when she got home or text me or something. I've sent her loads of WhatsApps and I've rang her up loads. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, you're obviously worried about her. Yeah. No, she's on to she's lovely, she has I work with her, she's HR, she's a really nice person. Yeah. But I am really worried. In late June of 2021, fate brought Ross McCullum and Megan Newborough together in Ibstock, where the brick manufacturer of the same name is located. Megan, who was working in the HR department, crossed paths with McCullum, who was working in the laboratory testing manufacturer samples. McCullum was not someone who was afraid to discuss his personal life with his co-workers, revealing that he had been diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and depression. As Megan conducted an audit of the company's laboratory, her colleagues could not help but notice the subtle yet undeniable sparks of flirtation between McCullum and Megan. Colleagues thought they were an unlikely match. However, after their first meeting, it proved that opposites attract, as the relationship quickly became romantic. One Ibstock employee, Joe Howard, recalled, Megan would come into the lab, and they were almost acting like a couple. On occasion, I caught them hugging and kissing in the lab itself. According to Joe, McCullum was a reliable worker, 
but he said that McCullum's behaviour deteriorated when he stopped taking his medication for ADHD. Joe noticed a shift in McCullum's demeanour, describing the 30-year-old as immature and displaying teenage-like behaviour. He also began to use inappropriate language within the workplace. McCullum was also known for his openness, and once confided to Joe about some deeply distressing experiences from his past. He revealed that as a child he had been sexually abused. Joe recollected. He said he was taken into a wooded area by a family friend who was looking after him. He said that he was forced to strip naked and perform sex acts on this person. Moreover, McCullum had disclosed similar details to his boss, Graham Fison. Over time, he shared more about his traumatic past, recounting how at just 13 years old, he was repeatedly coerced, then sexually abused by several older children, leaving him scarred and emotionally wounded. Graham recollected... I asked him at one point if he knew the individual who had raped him. He said that there were three of them. One had run away, but two remained. McCullum later hinted that he had been raped by Stephen Beedman, who had raped and killed 15-year-old Kaylee Haywood in 2015. While Ross McCullum was open with his colleagues about his past and his struggles, they were unaware that he had a form of erectile dysfunction, something that deterred him from entering into relationships. His last romantic encounter had occurred eight years prior with a woman named Chloe Pike. During this time, she expressed concerns over his reliance on pornography. However, when McCullum crossed paths with Megan, he found himself drawn to her, and their connection quickly intensified. Over the next month, they exchanged a staggering 3,500 WhatsApp messages, and their conversations took a sexual turn. Ross McCullum divulged his deepest sexual fantasies to Megan. He also requested that she address him as Lord Commander. He attributed his issues with erectile dysfunction to the medication he was taking for ADHD. On July 15th, McCullum hinted to Megan that there was another side to his personality. In a WhatsApp message, he wrote, When you get to know me more, you will see... Ha ha, I have my moments where I can be a nice and caring guy too. Curious to learn more about her love interest's personality, Megan asked him three days later, What are your quirks then? He replied, I cannot give them all the way just yet, Missy. You would run for the hills if you heard them all at once. As their sexual relationship developed, 
McCullum's confidence visibly grew, and he began to express more explicit vulgarity in his messages to Megan. Seemingly, Megan had reservations about McCullum, telling her colleague Lucy Whale that he was a bit rough around the edges and not the type she'd take home to meet her parents. Despite their intimate encounters, sexual intercourse had not taken place. McCullum expressed his anxieties about his sexual performance, and Megan encouraged him to be more self-assured. However, while Megan and McCullum's relationship seemed to be progressing, he was simultaneously communicating with another woman. In the weeks leading up to Megan's disappearance, he met a 23-year-old woman at a local bar. They exchanged contact information and began messaging on WhatsApp, where McCullum revealed his sexual fantasies. He expressed a preference for slapping and choking women. In one particularly chilling message, he wrote, I kind of like it when they're a bit scared. After conversing with Ross McCullum over the phone about Megan Nubra's disappearance, the police harboured suspicions regarding the account he provided. Analysis of text messages exchanged between him and Megan caused alarm due to the swift transition from innocent topics to extreme subjects. This behaviour, they noted, is typical among sex offenders who conflate sex with violence. Later that evening after the visit from officers, McCullum's father picked him up from the pub and took him home. However, shortly after midnight, there was another knock at the door. I'm DC Gallagher from Warwickshire Police. Um, at this moment in time... The officer begins to read Ross McCullum his rights. Uh, and as a result, I'm arresting you on suspicion of kidnap. So you do not have to say anything. No matter how you defence, you don't mention one question or something which you may later rely on in court. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. So I'm just going to pop some handcuffs on you, all right? Upon realising that he was going to be taken into custody, McCullum sobs. DC Gallagher then handcuffs McCullum and inquires about Megan's whereabouts. In relation to Megan, can you tell us where she is? You got something in your ear? What is it? Okay. What's in relation to Megan? Can you tell us where she is? In a hushed tone, McCullum responds, Let's talk at the police station. DC Gallagher presses McCullum, asking, Can you tell us here? Just quietly. McCullum then whispers that they would find Megan's body in Woodhouse Eaves near Loughborough. Woodhouse Eaves? What is that? It's near Loughborough. Near Loughborough. What is it, though? It's what kind of location is it? 
Charlie Road. Charlie Road. Whereabouts? In the neighbourhood. In the Okay. Is she alive? As other officers were dispatched to the location, Ross McCullum was taken to the police station, where he revealed what had transpired on the night Megan disappeared. McCullum explained that after Megan came to his home on Friday night, the atmosphere turned tense when she began talking about their future. He said, She started talking about where she wants to be. Kids, marriage, everything blew up in my head, went crazy in my head. According to McCullum, he told Megan that he felt uncomfortable about the conversation and ordered her to shut up. He claimed that she slapped him playfully and pulled him closer. This allegedly triggered memories of when he was sexually abused by children older than him when he was young, and he, quote, lost control of himself and began to strangle her. However, he wasn't done just yet. McCullum told the police that after strangling Megan for some time, he went into the kitchen, got a knife and stabbed her in the throat. He described how he wanted to ensure she was dead because McCullum was scared he'd get into trouble for attacking her. He also said that he was concerned that Megan would reveal personal information he told her, including the claims he made about being sexually abused as a child. After Megan Newborough's death, Ross McCullum placed her lifeless body into her Citroen. He didn't own a car. Before driving away, he sent a text message to Megan's phone which read, You are amazing, along with kisses and a smiling emoji. McCullum then headed towards Woodhouse Eaves, disposing of Megan's phone along the way. He parked in a lay-by in a remote area of open countryside, lifted Megan from the car and tossed her body over an ancient four-foot stone wall into dense, overgrown brambles. Afterwards, McCullum drove Megan's car back to the Loughborough College campus, providing the exact location to the police. Surveillance footage captured him disposing of bloodstained clothing in a nearby skip between 9.51pm and 9.59pm. He caught a taxi back home and cleaned up the murder scene at his parents' house, texting Megan's phone again, this time writing, Did you get back okay, baby? He then opened YouTube on his mobile phone. He watched videos about Charles Bronson before researching the killers Levi Belfield, Ian Huntley and Peter Sutcliffe, along with watching a video on the Manchester Arena bombing. He also searched for domination pornography. At 11.18pm, he googled how to tell a girl you love her. 
Just nine minutes later, he left a voicemail for Megan, telling her that he was worried about her and that he loved her. Hello, oh, babe, it's Ross. Um, what, I'm just worried about you. If you haven't rang back or, you know, text me or anything. Um, yeah, I'm just worried, that's all. I had a fun time earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Love you. McCullum's search for more information on Levi Belfield and Harold Shipman before curiously googling who cuts your hair in prison. As Ross McCullum was arrested on suspicion of murder, PC Thomas Wright was dispatched to the area where McCullum claimed to have disposed of Megan Newborough's body. Joined by officers from the Leicestershire Constabulary and a police helicopter with a searchlight, they arrived at the location and began their search. E.C. Wright noticed a patch of trampled grass running alongside the wall and proceeded to investigate. Peering over the wall, he pointed his torch towards the brambles. The vegetation was dense. Describing what happened, PC Wright later said, There was some bracken and brambles that had been disturbed, and when I shone my torch into it, I saw what looked like some black trousers. He then called out, She's here, and his colleagues rushed to join him. Climbing over the wall, they discovered Megan's body. Once her remains were removed from the scene, they were examined by a pathologist who determined that Megan had been strangled to death and had substantial injuries to the neck. Fourteen stab wounds in total. Following this tragic revelation, Megan's family released a statement expressing their grief. There are no words to describe how much we as a family are completely heartbroken and devastated. Megan was the most generous, loving and caring person, and we have been robbed of our treasured daughter. On August 10th, 2021, Ross McCullum was charged with the murder of Megan Newborough. When appearing in court, he nodded to acknowledge the clerk who announced his name. He entered no plea to the murder charge, and his counsel, Robin Howard, confirmed his client would not be making an application for bail. Judge Timothy Spencer then adjourned the proceedings before a trial preparation hearing would take place. McCullum appeared in court once more on November 26th, and there he pleaded guilty to the lesser offence of manslaughter. He entered this plea on the grounds of diminished responsibility and loss of control. He additionally pleaded not guilty to the murder of Megan Nubra. Prosecutor Gordon Aspden informed the court that the manslaughter plea was not acceptable to the Crown. Judge Spencer replied, So it will be a murder trial, 
He then turned to McCullum and stated, Through your plea, you've admitted a very serious matter and a very serious offence. The prosecution does not accept this is a manslaughter case. They say it's a murder case. A jury will have to decide that, and your trial will take place on March 7th. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The trial was delayed when Ross McCullum's defence team applied for an adjournment due to administrative reasons. Judge Philip Head granted the application and rescheduled the murder trial for a later date in the same year. Eventually, by October 31st, 2022, a jury was selected and took their seats in Leicester Crown Court. Megan's loved ones filled the public gallery as McCullum was brought in, dressed in a black suit, tie and white shirt. The prosecutor John Camay KC informed the jury that Megan and McCullum had been in a relationship of sorts for about a month before the murder and had exchanged thousands of WhatsApp messages. Although they had what was described as sexual encounters, McCullum faced difficulties performing sexually. Despite this, Megan pursued the relationship 
showing empathy, kindness and patience towards him. John Camay Casey continued telling the jury, On Friday the 6th of August, the defendant and Megan Newbra arranged at short notice via the WhatsApp messaging app to meet the same evening. He would have shown her into the front room and at some point within the next 30 to 40 minutes, he attacked her with great violence. The prosecutor revealed to the jury that McCullum had confessed to the murder, even telling the police that he had cut Megan's throat to make sure that she was dead. McCullum had accepted that he killed Megan, but denied murder. John Camay Casey expanded on this point to the jury. You may be wondering what his defence is. In essence, he says that he was incapable, either through a temporary loss of control or an abnormality of mind, to form the intent to kill her or to do her really serious harm. Given that defence, you may wish to consider the relevance of the defendant's behaviour from the moment when he strangled Megan throughout the night that followed and into the next day. The prosecutor argued that after killing Megan, McCullum meticulously undertook a series of deliberate actions to cover up the murder. John Camay Casey stated... We know that the defendant drove away from Windsor Close almost immediately after sending that message because at 9.04pm he threw away Megan's iPhone into the thick undergrowth off Hermitage Road near the village of Whittick and about a mile from Windsor Close. But he made a crucial mistake. He did not switch it off. After disposing of Megan's mobile phone using her Citroen, McCullum drove until he reached a remote area of open countryside near the village of Woodhouse Eaves. There he concealed Megan's body before travelling to Loughborough College. The prosecutor explained that this is where McCullum made another mistake because his arrival was captured on CCTV. John Camay KC said, From 9.51pm to 9.59pm, he was captured methodically depositing various items of his and Megan's clothing, much of it heavily bloodstained, into a nearby pair of bins. After leaving Megan's car, McCullum took a taxi home, arriving at about 10.45pm. This is where he began conducting his cover-up by messaging her to check if she was okay and that he was worried about her. He left a voice note professing his love for a person he had just killed. The prosecutor argued that these actions contradicted McCullum's claim of being momentarily struck by an irresistible wave of emotion or some other disability of the mind. John Camay Casey then said to the jury, between that time and about 1am on Saturday morning, he browses various YouTube channels and websites. Having googled the weather forecast, he asks a question of Google search, 
What is club soda for cleaning? Why would he be looking at that? Kamei asked. McCollum then conducted a series of Google searches on serial killers before falling asleep. Based on his internet phone records, he awoke the next morning at 6.43am. He continued to read about Levi Belfield followed by the news. He then opened a pornography website with a, quote, clear emphasis on domination, before sending a text message to Megan's phone which read, Morning, baby. Throughout Saturday morning, as Megan's parents frantically searched for her, McCullough made further phone calls feigning concern. He then researched Levi Belfield again, before searching for Peter Sutcliffe. At 9.58am, he messaged Megan's phone again, writing, Babe, I'm getting worried. You didn't message or call me last night or today. Please respond because I'm getting really worried about you. McCollum then googled Loughborough College where he had abandoned Megan's car. Describing the defendant's actions, John Camay KC stated, The Crown's case is that the defendant knew exactly what he was doing when he killed Megan, that he acted with sustained purpose using considerable force, and thereafter conducted himself with precision and icy detachment. At all times, we say he was in control. If, having considered all the evidence... You have any reasonable doubts, you will of course acquit. The Crown's case is that having heard the evidence in full, you will be left without a shadow of doubt that Ross McCullum murdered Megan Nubra. During the defence's argument, Karim Fuad KC provided a short opening statement highlighting the issues facing the jury. He said that McCullum had no previous convictions and had allegedly suffered PTSD as a result of sexual abuse as a child. Some of the first witnesses to testify were Megan and McCullum's colleagues, including Lucy Whale and Bethany Gunn. Fighting back tears on the witness stand, Bethany said... Megan was one of the kindest people I had come across and a delight to work with and get to know. She informed the jury that the relationship between Megan and McCullum seemed quite casual and Megan appeared content with its progression. Bethany explained to the jury that everybody at work knew McCullum had been diagnosed with ADHD. Still, she said he managed it well and seemed to be a genuine, normal lad. Another colleague, Joe Howard, also testified, telling the jury that McCullum told him that he and Megan had sex by a pond in the countryside, close to their place of work. The witness also said that McCullum had shown him naked photographs of Megan on his mobile phone, something that Joe felt was inappropriate. 
He also testified about the alleged sexual abuse that McCullum had been subjected to while a child, and McCullum's boss, Graham Fison, spoke about this as well. When Graham asked McCullum if he knew who had sexually abused him, McCullum replied, Do you remember the murder of Kaylee Haywood? When Graham confirmed that he did, McCullum gave him the name Stephen Beedman, which suggested that he had been sexually abused by him as well. Graham Fison said to the jury, It was left at that. I took that to be his way of telling me that Stephen Beedman was one of the individuals. Ross McCullum's mother Linda told the jury that she was unaware that her son had been sexually abused until the weeks leading up to Megan's murder. While he had claimed to colleagues that the incident happened when he was 13 years old, he told his mother that he was sexually abused by older children when he was eight. He also told her the same thing he had told Graham Fison that Stephen Beedman was one of his abusers. After Megan and McCullum's colleagues testified, Prosecutor John Camay KC revealed the text messages that McCullum had sent to an unidentified woman he met at a bar in July of the previous year. In these messages, McCullum steered the conversation towards rough sex and talk of domination and submission. The prosecutor stated, This was the sort of thing that the defendant felt appropriate to write to a young woman he had first met less than 24 hours ago. John Camay Casey argued that these messages reflected the defendant's true feelings and attitude towards Megan at the time. On November 22nd, Ross McCullum took to the witness stand to testify on his own behalf. He became emotional as he gave his account of how when he was eight years old, he was allegedly abused by other children, including Stephen Beedman. He went into graphic detail, describing how Beedman had whipped him with a metal ruler. McCullum described another incident claiming he was raped by an older boy in Ipstock Woods, before detailing a further attack claiming he was forced to strip in a garage where other older children were coercing him. According to McCullum, he told nobody about these incidents and even remained friendly towards the other children who had abused him. However, he said he regretted not telling anybody about Stephen Beedman, fearing that he could have prevented what happened to Kaylee Haywood. The defendant stated, He'd been in the news because he'd killed that girl Kaylee. I thought, if I'd said something sooner... It played on my mind that if I'd mentioned it to the police, it would have changed something, anything. McCullum admitted killing Megan Nubra, but argued that he had not murdered her because he experienced what he referred to as a flashback 
caused by the abuse. McCullum said it could have been anyone. According to the defendant, after Megan arrived at his home, he made her a drink. He said that he had been to the garage that night, which had brought personal information into his mind and sent him into a bit of a daze. They went into the back room and talked for about 15 to 20 minutes. McCullum recollected. She could see that something was up. I was just swearing and panicking. I should have said at that point, I need to be on my own. McCullum claimed that he and Megan began engaging in sexual activity. He then swore at her because he, quote, felt a bit awkward. Megan allegedly gave him a little bit of a slap on the side of his leg in a playful way before pulling him closer to initiate sex while telling him, come here. McCollum claimed that her actions combined with those two words triggered something in him that made him have a flashback to the sexual abuse. That's just when I exploded. Just rage, he stated. I pushed her forward with all my strength. I have never ever felt like that before. It was like a volcano. The defendant told the jury that he was not angry with Megan before the brutal attack that ended her life. He said, If I had not been in the garage... It wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have ended up like that. According to his account, Ross McCullum paced around for five to ten minutes before noticing that Megan appeared to be dead. McCullum then added, That's when I saw the knife. McCullum admitted cutting Megan's throat was a rash, impulsive thing, telling the jury, It just made things a million times worse. I don't know why I did it. The defendant was asked why then did he make internet searches for serial killers and sent messages to Megan's phone knowing she was dead. He responded, At the time I was being delusional. It was almost like a fantasy world. That wasn't Ross. I'm not perfect, but the person who was doing that, sure, it was me, but it wasn't rational me. In regards to the pornography he had searched for after the murder, McCullum said he viewed it as a safety blanket, telling the jury, It takes you to that fantasy world where it wasn't real. It makes you feel better for a short period of time. John Camay KC asked McCullum, that's what you did at 7am for some 17 minutes after killing Megan. McCullum laughed as he replied, yes, I'm being completely honest. I know how bad it makes me look. The prosecutor inquired, What are you laughing for? McCullum responded, I was trying to answer, 
but you interrupted me. According to McCullum, after he told police what had happened and where Megan's body was, he felt euphoric. McCullum explained that after he was held in Leicester Prison on remand, he felt that he was in the place he belonged, stating, The first week was during Covid time, so you had to be isolated from people. I was all on my own thinking, and I was thinking I deserved to be there. Everyone else was innocent. That's what they all say. McCullum said other prisoners visited him in his cell after seeing what he was arrested for on the news, and some accused him of raping Megan. He explained that he felt naive for trying to explain to other inmates what he had done. McCullum's testimony continued, and next he told the jury about using the knife. He stated, Everybody is going to be cross at me. It made sense at the time. I'm trying to explain rationally how I felt at a very irrational, manic time. John Cam KC inquired, Rather than dial 999 or rush next door for help, you thought it would be appropriate to pick up a carving knife and take it to Megan's neck. McCullum responded, I don't think it's appropriate. I was just pacing around. It made sense. People would be cross at me that I strangled her. It made sense. The prosecutor then highlighted how during McCullum's initial confession to the police, he did not mention the alleged triggering words Megan had said. It was also suggested that the defendant had killed Megan because he was sexually humiliated. It was revealed that the week before her murder, McCullum had ordered Tadalafil, used to treat erectile dysfunction. After the pills were delivered, McCullum had invited Megan to his home. Camay argued that McCullum was extraordinarily excited about the visit. The prosecutor insisted that Ross McCullum's claims of sexual abuse as a child were a pack of lies designed to cover up the real reason for the attack. Kame stated, I suggest you attacked her in a blind rage because you'd been humiliated. Your penis didn't work. You hated her for all the things she was and all the things you couldn't be. McCullum replied by saying that when they went for a walk in the woods the week before and attempted to have sexual intercourse, he did not feel humiliated and did not kill her then. He added, I'd never do something that awful just because I was humiliated. The prosecutor argued that McCullum was researching serial killers after killing Megan because he was, quote, embracing the idea of joining their club. McCollum denied that he was. (laughs) 
Once Ross McCollum stood down from the witness stand, Dr. Richard Latham began to testify. He had interviewed McCollum after his arrest. McCollum divulged to Dr. Latham that he watched around an hour of pornography each day, most of it violent in nature. The defendant stated to the doctor, I replaced normal human interaction with watching porn. I don't think I was living life as normal. Dr. Latham explained to the jury that McCullum had told him that Megan touched his groin, pulled him closer and said, come here. According to the doctor, an abnormality of mental functioning caused McCullum to be taken back to being abused as a young boy. Dr. Latham stated, He was having vivid memories. He was back there. Latham informed the jury that there was a substantial reduction in McCullum's ability to control his actions just before he became enraged and strangled Megan to death. In the opinion of the expert witness, it was clear that the defendant regretted killing Megan, whom McCullum described as the nicest person. However, Latham said that what McCullum did after the killing, driving off to hide the body, could not be considered part of a post-traumatic stress disorder episode. Describing PTSD episodes, he said, it's as though they are back in the moment of that traumatic event. People can describe a sense of almost being out of themselves, not fully conscious but certainly not unconscious. The risk of PTSD after rape is very high. Dr. Latham was cross-examined by John Camay, KC, who asked whether his expert opinion was based on McCullum telling the truth. He replied, I use the 20 years of experience I have to decide whether what he's describing fits with my clinical experience of PTSD. With all the compelling testimony presented, the fate of Ross McCullum now rested in the hands of the jury. After just over an hour and a half of intense deliberation, they returned with a unanimous verdict. As the foreman announced the outcome, McCullum offered only a stoic nod revealing little emotion. He was found guilty of Megan Newborough's murder. After the verdict, Megan's family said their lives had been well and truly ripped apart. They described how Megan shone like a star to everybody she came into contact with adding that she excelled at work and had a bright future ahead of her. Her loved ones continued, stating, Megan's story is our story. We're the ones serving the life sentence. She was an incredibly good judge of character. She knew who she could and couldn't trust. 
she left home that night in a very happy mood. The thought of what happened to her just hours later and the evil facing her is something we can't escape. Detective Inspector Jenny Heggs described Ross McCullum as a wolf in sheep's clothing and said she believed he would have gone on to kill again. The officer voiced the opinion that McCullum enjoyed killing Megan and had been sexually aroused by what he had done. The detective added, When it comes to women, this is a very dangerous man. I genuinely believe, um, having investigated this from the offset, that Ross enjoyed killing Megan. I genuinely think that it excited him. And I genuinely believe that he had the potential to kill again from his actions afterwards. They certainly didn't show signs of any remorse whatsoever. Um, And even throughout the trial, in terms of the killing of Megan, he really hasn't shown any remorse. He seems to have shown remorse around the cover-up and he seems to have shown remorse around getting caught. But in terms of the actual murder itself, there really hasn't been any remorse shown. And, but what it shows to me is that Ross was completely in control um, of what he was doing. Um, and he knew what he was doing. And obviously part of his defense has been that he had lost control. I, I completely um, refute that and, and genuinely believe that his actions, um, both during and after Uh, Megan's death show how much control he was in. It was revealed after the trial that when Ross McCullum was on remand, he had bragged to a cellmate about using the knife on Megan. He also suggested that he would use his mental health as a, quote, tool. In another incident, he was overheard by a prison guard laughing as he told other inmates... If you carry on like this, you'll end up like Megan. Another guard overheard him telling fellow prisoners, If I'd have gone a bit further, I'd have taken her head off. So where are we now? On December 16th, 2022, Ross McCullum returned to court, where Megan Newborough's grieving family was granted an opportunity to address the courtroom. Claire, Megan's older sister, gathered the strength to face McCullum directly. She stated, You are a monster an unpredictable menace obsessed with cruelness towards women. I have no idea what Megan saw in you. Megan liked fixing people, but you could not be fixed. Tearfully, Claire revealed that Megan loathed being cold and the haunting thought of her body lying exposed in the chilling open for hours tore at her soul. With anguish etched on her face, Claire continued, saying, 
the defendant has left a void in our lives from which we'll never recover. The impact of her death is indescribable. We're not the same people anymore. A father who can't walk Megan down the aisle. A mother who will never be a grandparent to Megan's children. Her death will be a constant course of pain and last for the whole family. That said, Megan's sister explained that they were doing their best to hold everything together and trying to live a life in her memory. The grief was palpable, as Claire told the courtroom that their mother had almost become delusional out of gut-wrenching guilt. She stated, Our mother wakes up every morning and has to remind herself that Megan is not here. She is not able to face going through her belongings. Meg's shoes are still by the front door, ready and waiting for her to wear. Her clothes and makeup are still in her room, waiting for her to put away. Megan's father Anthony wept as he expressed the harrowing reality of losing their treasured daughter in such heinous circumstances. He depicted the family as once being large and close-knit, but now torn apart by the actions of one evil individual. Comparing their ordeal to a horror film, Anthony emphasised that Megan's story was their reality. Addressing Ross McCullum Judge Philip Head condemned the act of McCullum cutting Megan's throat as a very substantial aggravating factor. He then continued, It was her dreadful misfortune to become involved in a relationship with you. The judge then sentenced Ross McCullum to life in prison with a minimum sentence of 23 years. In January 2023, the Solicitor General Michael Tomlinson believed that McCullum's sentence was unduly lenient, prompting the case to be referred to the Court of Appeal for reconsideration. However, to the dismay of Meghan's loved ones, the appeal was dismissed. The family, initially hopeful of an increased sentence, expressed deep disappointment, stating that the current guidelines with a starting point of 15 years for murder were inadequately low when compared to the gravity of taking a life. Determined to honour Megan's memory and protect other girls and young women from suffering a similar fate, the family took positive action. They organised a Bedworth Park run, raising funds for the White Ribbon Charity which engages with men and boys to end violence against women and girls. Their goal was to keep Megan's name alive in the public's consciousness. In July 2023, they launched the Megan Nubra Foundation. The foundation seeks to create a legacy in Megan's name, filled with good works and charitable events to raise money and awareness for three causes. The White Ribbon Charity, 
the Dogs Trust and killed women. A network for bereaved families whose daughters, mothers and sisters or other relatives were killed by men. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.